This is the Mimi for Coffee podcast. Join us for an in-depth conversation. My guest today is Dr. Robert Seek, PharmaMD. He also specializes in functional medicine. He's the co-founder of the Integrative Therapeutics Board at The Wellness Company. How's it going, doctor? It's going great, George. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, man, this is a uh, pretty cool researching about, you know, your past and uh, you're, you're, you're an expert in your field, uh, I would say. You're more of an expert than I am. Um, but first, um, you know, this show is called Meet Me for Coffee. We brew good conversations and we tie them all together and have a great time. What do you take in your coffee? Do you drink coffee? I do drink coffee. I have a cup every morning and I found a sweet spot. I drink my coffee about two hours after I wake up. I don't do it. I don't do it right away in the morning. I have my routine. I drink it about an hour and a half to two hours afterwards. And uh, I mix different things in it. I'm a heavy cream guy, not necessarily throwing butter in it, in my coffee, but no sweetener. But I love coffee. Um, Yeah, coffee's absolutely amazing. I asked Dr. McCullough if coffee's good for me. He's like, I bet you could find a study that tells me that coffee is very good for you. And another study that will tell you that it's horrible for you. So um, that's how it's, it's been working around uh, our world in the last four or five years. And things have really become come to light lately, um, especially with medicine. Um, I find that like it's really run by big pharma and, and they're always trying to keep you on the, the hook for things. Um, um, even, you know, being in the hospital, they would recommend or given me or giving me a, a drug that, they give other people for different, you know, uh, illnesses and stuff like that. Um, how has big pharma actually like kind of taken control of everything? You know, George, this story of how big pharma has taken control in collusion with big media as well. This is, this goes back almost a hundred years and I'll just put it to you succinctly from the time I graduated pharmacy school, 1995, right? I go to work in a chain drugstore. And within two weeks, I absolutely hated it because it just seemed that the older the person who came in, the more prescription drugs they were picking up. And I, is this what the human body was designed to do is just fall apart and need all of these man-made drugs. And you have certain drugs that are used to treat an issue due to the fact that they took this other drug for five years that caused it in the first place. And, and it was just ridiculous. So I have a a pharmacy of my own. I do compounding. I specialize a lot in nutritional medicine, but the big pharma, here's what will astound you. I did my MBA in 2003. And at that time, when I was doing my research, the pharmaceutical industry in the United States controlled 60% of primetime television advertising expenditure. So what did that do? It put into the minds of every person who watched, and also don't forget their machine that calls on the traditional medical establishment that says, this is what treatment is. Treatment is only what we say, what we advertise. It's it's our drugs. And I think we have to overcome that because that collusion or cooperation, whatever you want to say, between the, the industry and the advertisers has led us to uh, overutilization of prescription drugs in so many ways. I, I It's almost kind of glorified, right? I mean, uh, I'm an NFL fan. All of a sudden, uh, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are the big thing. Um, his big reward is uh, being a mascot for Pfizer. Um, it's like they were throwing it in our face. Um, and, uh, you know, during the whole pandemic, the biggest sponsorships uh, for 
you know, CNN and stuff were Pfizer, um, Moderna and all these Johnson and Johnson. Um, it's always in your face. Um, there were, there are many things, uh, that I believe in. Uh, I believe that ivermectin works. Um, ivermectin works. Um, so does hydroxychloroquine. There's lots of, uh, clinical studies that show that they actually work for the things that they're meant for. Um, of course the names of those two specific drugs are very, uh, touchy when you, when you talk to people, can you explain, um, and, and give us your analysis and your opinion on how they've taken a drug and blown out of proportion, um, in comparison to what it actually is meant for? Well, let me layer this for you. Okay. Because again, back to early 2000, I'm doing my MBA. And one thing I noticed is something called the, the patent cliff for the pharmaceutical industry. And what that meant was when I did my analysis, by 2010, 18 of the top 20 selling drugs of all time would be off patent. Now, these are the small molecule drugs, drugs that we would swallow, right? Because you can absorb that molecule by swallowing it. So you have all of your antidepressants are now off patent. All of your cholesterol drugs, uh, you know, all of your uh, anti-acid drugs. So we call them the H2 antagonists, the proton pump inhibitors, and some of them are available over the counter now. And since they're generic and the generics are a lot cheaper, the drug industry would have to go somewhere else to make its profits. Drug industry does not serve the people. It serves shareholders, the big corporate shareholders, including the big venture funds like you you recognize them, Vanguard, BlackRock, and the like. Okay, And, and what I predicted was that the pharmaceutical industry would have to go a couple different places, peptide-based drugs that you have to inject. So you see those advertised now, Humira, Enbrel, Cosentix, and would have to go to vaccines. And why? Because when you have cheap drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and, and you have this perception that, no, no, that's not medicine. What we're advertising right now is medicine. That gets in the way of profits in dramatic fashion, much to the detriment of the public, because you have those two drugs. What do they have in common? They've been on the worldwide market for 50 or 60 years. They've been proven abundantly safe in the very young and the very old. In fact, for ivermectin, four men shared the Nobel Prize in science and medicine in 2015 for their work on ivermectin in humans. But when COVID hit, it was, oh, don't use these drugs. You, you got to get the vaccine or you got to get your death is remdesivir. You got to get, you know, these these other drugs that, gosh, are really expensive. But don't worry, it's it's paid for by the government or your insurance program. Another way that you're actually getting robbed out of your paycheck. But that's how I see it all. Absolutely. And, you know, the conflicts in the Middle East and Ukraine as was the growing concern for these conflicts. You know, there's. This war gets worse and whatever. Um, there's a supply chain shortage, for example, if that ever happens. Uh, I know that would be the best thing that could ever happen for pharma because it drives the money, for, the money and the expenses for drugs up and, and, you know, makes insurance companies and people pay more for drugs. So it's like, um, do you see that playing out that way? You know, when you talk about supply chain issue, I mentioned medications and no, my pharmacy doesn't dispense traditional medications like a, like a chain drugstore. Most of what we do, in fact, uh, is compounding. I do it in a laboratory. We do a lot of hormone replacement therapy, unique things you need prescriptions for that just aren't commercially available for one reason or another. Uh, I'm the primary pharmacy for the wellness company. We're filling these emergency preparedness kits with antibiotics. There's another kit for COVID. And it was a great idea because let's say a war leads to a supply chain shortage. Why would it lead to for drugs? Because the vast majority of we, what we call 
pharmaceutical API, active pharmaceutical ingredients, are made in India, Pakistan, and China. Vast majority. Now, you may buy these products from an American manufacturer, but they ultimately bought the active ingredient from these overseas sources because it's cheap to do the synthesis there and then put them together in the final dosage form. Even a lot of the products that I buy, people have called the pharmacy and asked, where, where is this stuff sourced from? Yeah, a lot of it is sourced from China. Now, I buy it from an American repackager. They take the 50 kilogram drum and pack it into one kilo uh, buckets or one kilo bottles that I buy. And it's all FDA certified, registered and approved. But what if for some reason you can't get the drugs here? What if it's a war? What if it's astronomical fuel prices? What if there's a conflict, uh, the Suez Canal, where the you know a lot of the world's oil flows through? What if you can't get ships through the Panama Canal? We're stuck in America because we have a deficiency in pharmaceutical manufacturing that I think we need to overcome. Yeah. And how do we overcome that? You know, the reshoring of manufacturing is what it's called. Let's bring it back to our shores. It has to begin somehow. And I'm not a macro economist that's going to say, well, you need these types of tax incentives and rebates to make it affordable for industry to build here. It just it just makes sense for a national security perspective, for one thing, because let's say it's a natural or unnatural pandemic and you absolutely need to treat it with antibiotics. I'll give you one of the most severe examples, anthrax. Anthrax exposure has to be treated with two powerful antibiotics for 60 days. It's right on the CDC website, doxycycline and ciprofloxacin, 60 days. This is not a seven to, day, a seven to 10 day course of antibiotics. This is a lot. And what if the exposure to anthrax is hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people at a time when the drugs are potentially in short supply? So, you know, I, I don't want to be a complete alarmist. It is just, it is just realization. Yep. Uh, there are companies that are working slowly to reshore manufacturing for things like microchips and potentially pharmaceuticals. I, I'm not keenly aware of it and involved in it, but it's one of the things we need to do. And also another reason why I'm passionate about integrative therapeutics. We, we don't always need to turn to the drugs to treat us. When, when you need them, you need them, okay? Especially if we're talking like the anthrax. But there's plenty of natural ways to keep your immune system healthy. There's natural uh, products that actually augment your own immunity that are provide defensive protection against bacterial viral infections. So I love to integrate those into the options that are available to everyone. You listen to uh, Meet Me Recovery Podcast with Dr. Robert Seek, uh, PharmaMD and functional medic medicine expert. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um, the risk of, about people are listening to the wrong things, um, the wrong advice. Um, what I kind of uh, found that is I would take a lot of D3 and you know I took vitamin D in the past and whatever and different vitamins and people were always telling me don't take that it's bad for you um because it hurts your liver or it's too much or whatever is vitamin D something that we really need in our life like as in should we give be actually taking it and is it actually bad for you you don't have to take it but you absolutely need it why don't you have to take it if you get Caucasian skin in particular, out in the sun, your skin is going to make 137 units per square inch per hour. 137 units per square inch per hour. So when it comes to people saying, don't take that dose of vitamin D, it's just way too high. Okay, I can go out in you know shorts and go 10 minutes per side, okay, just shorts on a sunny day, and I'll probably make 20 or 25,000 units of vitamin D in my skin. Now, now the reaction in the skin is self-limiting. When people tell you it's toxic for the liver, 
It's a fat-soluble vitamin. It does accumulate in the liver. It's possible to overdo it, but very difficult. And I'll tell you this, I lectured to many physicians on uh, the value of certain nutrients. And depending on the lecture, I picked the top 10, the top five. Vitamin D was in every lecture because the Harvard School of Public Health has published numerous studies on vitamin D that show this. If you have an adequate vitamin D level, now, not just normal on labs, because there's a way that labs trick you. Well, I'm in the normal range. Yeah, but what if everybody's vitamin D level is low? You're just part of this bell curve where everybody sucks, right? Yes. The optimal level, if you measure it as 25-hydroxy vitamin D on lab tests, is between 70 and 90. That's what Harvard said, because that's where you get all the benefits. What are the greatest benefits? That level of vitamin D, 50% reduction in breast cancer, 50% reduction in prostate cancer, 50% reduction in the risk of colon cancer. And I have physicians in the past that would tell me, but but Robert, that's just a, a vitamin. It's, it's just a vitamin. And what did we notice in the early days of COVID? Okay, you do something called a Y-bar analysis. What are the vertical factors that pop a Y-bar that say, well, this is relevant for who's going to get COVID, who's not? Well, who's going to get COVID and have it severe enough to go to the hospital? Who's going to be in the hospital and die? But you know what? The number one preventive thing on each of these three charts was the same thing. The more vitamin D level someone had, the higher their vitamin D, the less likely they were to get COVID. And if they did get it, less likely it was to be severe. But I'll I'll give you this caution and then a tip. Vitamin D3 taken alone. Okay, there are some articles that say, well, you may cause some calcium deposition uh, where you don't want it. You don't want it in some of your blood vessels. So a lot of products are combined with vitamin K2. So vitamin K2 prevents that calcification. One of the ways we age is our our body turns into stone because we stick calcium where it doesn't belong. Another thing you need to do is activate the vitamin D receptor. How do we do that? We do that with vitamin A. Vitamin A is easy to get. Foods that are orange. Here's your top three. Carrots, sweet potatoes, apricots. Take your vitamin D or get in the sun. Have some orange foods once in a while. Okay, don't overdo it, which is difficult to overdo. Have your blood level checked, which is what I recommend. And look at Harvard School of Public Health. 70 to 90 is the level. And that's where you get the benefits. So I'm passionate about vitamin D if you can't tell. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if it can reduce your risk of having, you know, breast cancer and and, and these illnesses, like it, that's absolutely fantastic. And that's what I wanted to hear. Um, are we overdoing it on the calcium thing? Is calcium a, a really necessary thing to put in your body for example like i was watching another uh, doctor um i believe on twitter um and he was saying you know calcium is what put, makes blockages in your arteries um so should we have such an emphasis on like milk and you know calcium um intake there's a lot of debate about milk not necessarily because of the calcium right it it how's the milk raised is it raw is it is it uh is it organic uh, do, do we, were humans meant to drink it? Are you sensitive to the lactose or casein in the milk? Take, take that out of it. You know, I think there's, uh, people who react to it and people who don't. So how do you re- know if you react, you drink milk and if you get kind of mucusy, you got to clear your throat or clear your sinuses. Yeah. You, you, you're making a lot of mucus. Maybe milk isn't, isn't for you. Use a milk alternative. But as far as a calcium source, it's got a decent amount of calcium in it. But what you first said is about you know, do we have too much of a focus on jamming calcium into our bodies to build bone? Because that's the thought, right? Well, let's, you got bricks behind you. That's your scene, right? Let's put the bricks in there in the building and then we'll just build all this bone. It, does, it doesn't work that way. Building bone uh, requires numerous different 
processes, cells to be activated. Calcium is not the only mineral. You need magnesium, manganese, you need vitamin D, certain hormones activate what we call the osteoblast, the bone building cell. But pushing calcium, whether it's milk or chewing Tums or other antacids to say, you you need your calcium to build strong, healthy bones. Yes, it's had a negative effect on people because you got too much calcium in the bloodstream. Numerous articles say, well, look at all this calcification in the coronary arteries, in the kidneys. And it's one of the ways that we age. I, I like to talk about anti-aging medicine. How do we age? We dry up, burn up, turn to stone, and we rust. Eric Braverman out of New York first said that. I said, this makes sense because... If you don't have electrolytes in your water, I actually salt my water. I put electrolytes in my water. If you don't have electrolytes in your water, your cells don't get hydrated. You just keep dumping more water, right? It's hot, and your kidneys got to hold on to all those good minerals, right? Now they got to work harder. So we dry up because we're dehydrated. We burn up due to inflammation. There's so many foods that inflame us. Seed oils are one of the worst offenders. Any seed oil that you heat is, is a terrible offender. And we turn to stone because we deposit calcium, the coronary arteries around the heart, the kidneys, you deposit them in the brain. And when you don't have that blood flow, you don't have that flexibility, yes, you're, you're gonna age. And then of course, oxidative stress, that's how we, we rust, the free radical theory of aging. You attack these things and calcium, too much calcium has a lot of negative effects. Yeah, I think you'll live a healthier, longer life. Are we talking about Celtic salt in our water? I like that. I like Celtic salt. I've tried mountain salts. I've tried different, I've tried different salts. In fact, uh, I think it's Don or Dan Huberman has a YouTube channel and I tried his little protocol. And what is his protocol? Salt under your tongue, about half a teaspoon first thing in the morning, 15 minutes later, go ahead and hydrate. Okay. So in my water, not just pure water, I've already got the electrolytes from the salt. Celtic is fine. It's really expensive now. I don't know why, uh, but I'll put some electrolytes in there. I use a couple different products. I try them out. So I hydrate 15 minutes later. And I also, that's where I got the tip for that really gets you going, get out in the sun. You got to get your sun exposure through the eyeballs, no sunglasses. This stimulates your brain. Hey, it's time to wake up. Let's activate all these symptoms, uh, systems in the brain. Let's go. Now you're hydrated. You've got your electrolytes cooking. Then after that, then have your coffee, right? 90 minutes, two hours after uh, waking up, which is what I do. And you just sail through the day without an afternoon crash. Um, like, let's talk about the salt. Like if we're, if we're talking about salt, let's explain which salt to buy for people because I know Celtic salts through the roof because obviously the great benefits of it right now. So, um, which salt are we referring to that you use? So I've, I have used Celtic salt. Uh, I've used Himalayan pink salt. Uh, there's salts I've bought online that are, are combination sea salts. Uh, there's one I carry in my store. Uh, it's from a company called Premier Research Laboratories. It's called Premier Pink, and it's really easy to get. It's a combination of different sea salts. And, and why I like it is there's no uh, what we call flow agents or anti-cake agents, right? It, it, people don't like a salt that clumps, right? So they put an anti-cake in. Who, who cares, right? Or a flow agent because it's got to go through the machines that are packaging it. Premier yeah. Pink doesn't use that. So as long as it's not a regular old-fashioned table salt, which is chemicalized, which is going to raise your blood pressure, which is does not contain the trace minerals, micro, micro minerals that our bodies need. Well, uh, you know, rotate your options, find which ones you like. Well, I heard that a lot of this Himalayan salt, the pink salt, uh, has, is actually mostly plastic. Oh, I didn't know that. I've also heard a rumor, too, it's got uranium in it. And I, and I, I checked some sources like, yeah, you know, that's just somebody decrying the Himalayan salt. But that said, uh, the Celtic salt is what I had 
uh, arrived most recently. So I've been I've been using that. And then you have the people that say, well, it's a it's a sea salt and there's so many plastics in the sea. So now you got microplastics. I'm like, you know, I'm going to drive myself nuts thinking about why I should avoid every little yeah. thing. I, I just do the best I can. That's why I try different different salts. I had this that breakthrough with the calcium the other night when I was watching that doctor on on Twitter. It's like three in the morning, and I was like watching like so. This explains kind of like the whole depopulation kind of thing and how they're coming after us or whatever like that. It's like just jam calcium into you and like it'll kill you, but you don't know that. Um, let's talk about insulin. The depends dependency on insulin. Um, how crazy out of hand has this gotten for people you know what's what's out of hand is how many people in uh, both canada and the united states are diabetic and in the u.s in in particular it's now over 30 percent of the population is not just overweight it's obese and 50 percent of the population is overweight and, and and why does that happen this and and what drives diabetes okay imagine the old food pyramid what's at the bottom which you're supposed to eat the most of your breads and cereals and those are just one step away from being just like white table sugar, right? Your body converts them quickly to glucose. You spike your glucose, your pancreas has to make insulin because the pancreas's job is to take all that glucose that you just took in. And let's not even talk about uh, kids' cereals. My, my, my sons and I, we get up in the morning, it's bacon and eggs, nuts and eggs, nuts and bacon. It's ketogenic breakfast, never cereals, but they're friends, right? Uh, it's like, well, I, I get lucky charms. I get this one so loaded with sugar, sodium triphosphate. And it's like, you know, you start, you start there, you got all that tooth decay that's being caused. And then you put so much excess sugar in a body. And now we go to, gosh, have you ever been to, uh, and getting a, a big Slurpee? What is this thing? This is like what a half gallon of sugar laden soda. You are going to induce type two diabetes because the pancreas goes from one big insulin spike to the next. It never stops. It burns out. And now you have people who are insulin dependent because they're type two, but then there's also the, the type one. For some reason, the cells in the pancreas, the islet cells that make insulin, they, they become burned out. It's an autoimmune condition. There's different theories on that, right? So now you need insulin to engage what? Glucose disposal. You can only put so much in your muscles and so much in your liver, but you can endlessly store glucose when you put it as a new form we call fat and you just accumulate this. So what if you do this accumulation for 10 years? What if you do this for 20 years? Okay. So insulin has its job to do, but when you have excess insulin or what we call hyperinsulinemia, if you look at what we call the cytokine cascade, the insulin drive. So fancy name for cellular chemicals. You got insulin at the top, but it makes all these other cellular chemicals that cause these certain things to happen, which we need these physiologic processes to regulate inflammation. Sometimes you need inflammation. Sometimes you need to call cells to repair. Sometimes you, you need to increase blood pressure. But when you have a high insulin load all the time, there are certain cytokines, you can look them up, TNF-alpha, uh, thromboxane, interleukin-6, interleukin-7. What that means is your body's inflamed because you're driving insulin all the time. And remember, what's one of the tenets of aging? We burn up, dry up, burn up, turn to stone, and we rest. And we dry up from inflammation, which insulin drives, which the U.S. agricultural pyramid has been guilty of fostering in America for a long time. So, and what has it created? Millions of people that need insulin just to keep their sugar under control because when the blood sugar gets too high, you damage the capillaries, you compromise blood flow and places that are distant from the heart, like the feet. It's why the, you know, hard to get blood flow there. Diabetics end up with foot ulcers. Uh, 
you know, places where the blood vessel is very small, the brain, the eyes, the kidneys, those get damaged. And the diabetic, I don't know if this is by design or not, but if you want to think like a nefarious, evil, sinister, corporate oligarch and say, well, how can we make the most money out of people? The most, uh, if you have somebody who's diabetic, it's the most expensive, most lucrative chronic condition for the pharmaceutical industry. Because with diabetes, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you're always getting your glucose uh, test strips. Gosh, one injury of the foot. And wound care centers. Have you ever seen a wound care center and walked in and looked what like 21st century palaces they are? They're like spaceships because wound care makes a lot of money. And uh, I'll just give you this last thing and, and I'll get off it because I, uh, I make wound gels at my pharmacy, right? There's actually companies that make honey impregnated dressings. Honey kills everything to heal diabetic wounds. But diabetic wounds are such a problem that... Uh, Medicare spends a million dollars in the United States every 30 seconds on complications due to lower limb amputation. And if you have to lose a, a, a leg or a foot, okay, lower limb amputation, the five-year mortality rate is second only to lung cancer. Within five years, you have a high percent chance of dying if you have a lower limb amputation. Not necessarily because you lost the lower limb, but you lost the lower limb because you're so poorly diabetic and what if you have an infection that spreads? So when you say insulin, I think diabetes, I think, gosh, the sugar, the flour, the terrible diet that we have, how overweight the United States is. These are health concerns that we need to talk about before I see the next commercial on take this drug for, uh, you know, to, to, to control your diabetes. No, why don't, why don't we reverse diabetes or work really hard to prevent it, especially in our, in our youth, adolescent obesity, out of control. So I know that was a long arc, George, but I hope I oh, answered your this question. Is, this is great. This is kind of like uh, ties in with COVID and whatever. What they should be telling people is go to the freaking gym, do some exercise, watch what you're eating. Um, and they should flip that whole pyramid of, you know, foods that you should have, you know, on uh, the, the food channels or, you know, where they teach them in school and the charts. Um, to have the, the bread at the top where it's kind of like, don't eat this. You don't have to. Do, do you, do you, do you recommend, how do you ha like for COVID and then for, you know, the, the diabetes, do you not agree on that? Like let's promote good health instead of like, you know, blast people and, and then get them well, to kind of. Absolutely. When it comes to diabetics and COVID, when we look at, First of all, what was the infection fatality, right? Oh, the big scare of COVID. How many people died? And this is why we needed the vaccine and these expensive treatments like, like remdesivir that never made it to phase three trials because it caused multi-organ dysfunction in 65% of the trial patients. Oh, but let's put, let's put it under emergency use authorization because, oh, then we can, we can make a whole bunch of money from it. But really, the infection fatality rate of COVID is 0.4%. And most of the deaths occurred in this population, morbidly obese, diabetic, indoor dwellers. They weren't out in the sun getting vitamin D. Among other things, they just weren't out in the sun. You know, the sunlight actually kills pathogens as you walk in the sun because of the blood coursing through your eyeballs. You don't have to stare at the sun, but please walk in the sun. Now expose some skin and get some vitamin D. So when it comes to COVID, just that one thing we mentioned earlier, if you had a high vitamin D level, you were much less likely to get COVID. And if you did get it, you had less severe disease. Take a sun bath. Um, so you have a young young child. Are you familiar with what happens if babies are born with a high bilirubin level? 
Okay, what do they do? They put them in a sun bath. They put them in a sun bath and expose them to high dose of a specific frequency of light that doesn't burn the skin. Okay, but it causes massive production of vitamin D and clears out the bilirubin. And then you say, well, stay out of the sun and and don't worry about your vitamin. Uh, you know, don't take your vitamin D. You don't need it. Oh, it's it's toxic. I, th- I think all that is crap. But uh, I'll say this too about you mentioned something about yeah, you got to go to the gym and think of the human factor, right? So, so you and I, uh, you know, we're not overweight. Think of a person who's seriously overweight. How intimidating is it for them to go to a gym and be seen by everybody else? I, I mean, I can only imagine, cause do you see morbidly obese people at a gym? Not so much. No. Um, can, I mean, like we're just saying exercise, like our media should be promoting exercise and, and, and not, you know, drug companies and yeah, there'll always be a need for that, but mm-hmm. in the same realm, um, exercise, you know, keeping those gyms open during COVID could have totally helped with people's, you know, mental state, um, helped with their, their personal health. And, and in fact, even telling people what to take, um, you know, no one here in Canada not even like our own government told us what to take to build our immune system strong enough uh, to combat COVID or help us, you know, prevent ourselves from falling ill until uh, Dr. McCullough came on my show and told me about this. So that's when we all broke it here. Um, so like, there's a there's a, a, a big hand in a, a lot of this, right? The way people perceive things and going back to your, your, your comment there about, you know, do you ever see uh, overweight people, um, obese people? I'm overweight. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, but I, you know, I go to the gym once in a while. I'm not the most fit person, but, um, promoting good health is also promoting, you know, good mental state too. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you're, you're right about gosh, those gyms closed. Now you had a whole bunch of people who were not necessarily obese or overweight or trending that they gained weight. So now you have another big segment of the population uh, that stayed inside and and ate because they, they weren't able to go to the gym. But it's not just the lack of exercise. It's the lack of social connection because there's a, there's a book called The Blue Zones, right? And this is a, a book about looking around the world to find where the most octogenarians, nanogenarians, centenarians are, where people live the longest. And there's you know, the author made a lot of conclusions that, that may or may not have been correct about, about diet, right? I found people in, you know, women in Sardinia that said, oh, we don't eat a diet like, like he said, and all these vegetables and plant-based diet that no, we eat meat and cheese all day, but they socialize with each other, that they, they walk out, they walk outside, they have happy living, right? And uh, one of the common things among all those blue zones was that sense of community. And when you're sweating and working out with a community, even if you don't talk to a lot, you know, you see people, that's some familiarity, man, no wonder so many people during COVID got depressed. And that's one of the reasons you can't, you can't go to the gym and see your people. This is true. Um, you know, and if you were totally driven, you'd be able to figure out how to exercise from home. Um, they were encouraging us to go for walks with our families and stuff. But honestly, um, even looking now in my neighborhood, I, I see people go for walks, but I've never seen that many people walking um, at the same time, which is absolutely insane. Because like when I, I just picture it right now in my head, you know, me driving up the street, 
and seeing families just walking on, on the side of the road, like just being told what to do. Um, but we're going to tell people how to protect themselves against COVID. If, if by some chance uh, with this upcoming election in, in Canada, in the United States, uh, there's uh, obviously some speculation that the COVID pandemic could come back, something like that to interfere with this election as well. Um, how do people protect themselves against COVID? You know, we see respiratory illnesses, particularly viral respiratory illnesses, always increase fall and winter. Why? Because we just have less sunlight across the whole continent. It's colder. People aren't outside more. They aren't outside as much as they used to. Their vitamin D level is dropping. They're not getting that ultraviolet exposure from the sun. So, you know, one of the first things you mentioned on the show tonight is about vitamin D and it's importance. And that's one of the things you can do to prevent getting COVID. If you're not taking a sun bath, uh, you're not able to supplement with vitamin D. That's, that's one thing you can do to prevent uh, COVID. Uh, the other thing too, and I'll tell you, this is what uh, the wellness company and I have, have put together. Um, we'll, we'll pay the bills now if, if you don't mind, but it was an amazing thought to figure that you know, these drugs that are abundantly safe that I did a lot of through telemedicine during COVID when people got sick, that's when they had their appointment. Telemedicine is amazing. I can go to my app right now, book an appointment within 30 minutes. I'm seen by a physician, but I only get the prescription when I'm able to get that authorization, when I'm able to have the consult. So by preparing for it and hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin are, are part of part of a kit that we make here in the United States. Uh, to prepare for COVID because early treatment is crucial and to have it by telemedicine and have it on hand, because what if what comes with winter is also some power outages and now you don't have access to your doctors, you know, one way or another, or there's internet connection outages. You can do that. And and there's some natural things too. Not only vitamin D, uh, Mm -hmm. zinc is important. Uh, There's plenty of natural things that boost immunity. Gosh, you can do a homemade, mixture and make your own oregano oil. Oregano is potently immune boosting. Yes, the zinc is is crucial. And you can also too, one of the, uh, give you one more tip. One of the reservoirs of the virus is the the sinuses. You know, you you get that nasty sinus feeling and before it goes down into the throat and the lungs and poof, your whole body's sick. It's a reservoir where the virus replicates. How can you address it early? At the first onset of symptoms, you can use some intranasal iodine. Uh, so, so here's the recipe uh, we have in the States, I'm sure Canada too, you get a 250 milliliter bottle. Okay. Uh, Nelly Med is the company that makes it. You fill that with previously boiled or pure water. I'm sorry. What happens first is you put uh, 25 cc's, 25 milliliters of a povidone iodine solution. You can buy it over the counter. It's a 10% iodine solution. People ask me, does it need to be sterile? I'm like, no, iodine kills pathogens, right? So put, put 25 milliliters in there. Then fill, do that first, then fill the rest of the bottle with that purified water up to the 250 line. There's your now 1% povidone iodine solution. You don't necessarily need to squirt the whole bottle in the nose. A few, a few drops, uh, three, four times a day is enough. It'll burn a little bit. It'll burn a little bit, but that iodine is something early exposure for any upper respiratory viral infection. And it, it also works for, uh, sinus infections that are fungal in nature or bacterial because the iodine is potently antimicrobial. So there's a couple tips for your audience. I, I can give you more, but if that's what you were looking for, oh, that that's, fantastic. that's fantastic. 
Um, let's let's talk about who the wellness company is for those of us who have never heard of the wellness company. So our founder is Foster Colin, Foster Colson. Uh, he's a native of Canada himself. Vancouver is where he's from. And how I met Foster is I worked with a group of doctors and, and, and pharmacists, too, that were previously with America's frontline doctors. Now, that organization did a lot of work, but there were some, let's just say, issues that occurred with America's frontline doctors and left, left a gap, created a way where with the wellness company, patients have a resource where they can get telemedicine consults mm-hmm. for physicians, for medical providers, nurse practitioners, PAs that are not afraid to use prescribed ivermectin hydroxychloroquine because when the evidence shows you how beneficial it is with low risk, you need brave medical practitioners. That's what the wellness company has cultivated. And from the beginning, what Foster and I talked about, we wanted to see if our, our philosophies aligned. I said, you know, to be honest with you, Foster, here's my position. I'm the most anti-drug pharmacist you'll, you'll ever meet. I think we could do a lot in healthcare with maybe 500 drugs. We have thousands of drugs on the market, maybe 500 drugs. We repurpose them like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. Wait till you start reading about ivermectin and its effect on cancer, by the way. Let's just shelve that for another day. Uh, But we can do a lot there and then integrate the nutritional. So the wellness company sells a lot of high quality nutritionals. The first and so far the only company that has actually targeted uh, the spike protein. So if you've got spike protein, if you're loaded because of the vaccine or loaded because you had a severe COVID infection, that spike protein is very damaging. You've got to neutralize it. And in the spike support product, which is nutritional supplement, you don't need a prescription for that. Uh, you can just go to the wellness company website and order it. You've got dandelion root that blocks the uh, binding. Uh, you've got natokinase, which breaks down this pathogenic protein. So you, you take that on an empty stomach. And this is what we find most common with long haulers is the suspicion is for one reason or another, they have persistent disease and problems because of the elevation of the spike protein. And there's prescription things you can do too. Ivermectin is a spike protein neutralizer, among other things. But people can start nutritionally. And I'll tell you this too, with kids, making vitamins that are gummies that kids can chew, since a lot of them don't swallow capsules, like my, my younger one doesn't swallow capsules. I mean, it's great. So yeah, we, we use, there's, there, there's immune uh, boosting supplements the wellness company have that are gummies with elderberry, zinc, vitamin C. So nutrition is crucial. And I always tell people, eat a diet as nutrient dense as possible. Because when you're eating the, the grains, one, those don't have any nutrients in them, the grains and the sugars. Two, they're robbing your body of nutrients. So if you can dramatically reduce or even eliminate the grains and sugar, replace that with things that are the color of the rainbow. Just I don't want to say what to eat, but eat things that you intuitively know are nutrient dense. You're making a gain, supplement what you're not getting enough of. There you go. There's some COVID preventive tips for your audience for the winter. This is awesome. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you, Uh, learning a lot. Um, I'm sure there were many other conversations to be had. Dr. Robert Seek, PharmMD, functional medicine expert, the co-founder of the Integrative Therapeutics Board at the Wellness Company. And uh, they're here in Canada as well and across the United States. You got to check out their roster. Such a great roster of uh, you know board members. Uh, Dr. Drew, we got Mr. Uh, Peter McCullough, who you've seen on the show in the past. Uh, Dr. Hawkinson up here in Canada. And also our friend here, Robert Seek. Thank you so much. This has been great. Um, hopefully, uh, we cross paths once again. Will do, George. Happy to 
talking to you show anytime. I hope your audience liked it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Meet Me for Coffee. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, share the podcast, and follow us on all our social media pages. You can check out meetmeforcoffee.co for more information. Until next time, friends. Thank you.